Thanos. Good afternoon and welcome to the Hard Luck Show. I'm your certified, qualified West Side host, Steve Lucky Luciano. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into the greatest show on earth. It's Hard Luck Show. Coming at you from the bunker in Southern California, sitting across from me, my co-host and partner is Chumahan Bowen, American Indian, Southern Californian, elegant barbarian. Here to set this shit off again. Yeah. War paint to the sunrise. Huh. Getting braided up as my paint dries. The blood yeah. falls from the red sky. My yeah. lady's singing that war cry. We'll break him up like mannequins. Yeah. yeah. Mannequins. Shit. Draped yeah. up in yeah. a pair of high Let's go. Let me check my status. What? This battlefield is my canvas. What? And it might not take us platinum. What? That hand drum is my anthem. Yeah. Love that, bro. Scalping motherfuckers. That's right. Right. <laughs> and old blue eyes. Sean Lewis, certified audio professional. Yes! Engineer! Yeah! yeah. Oh, Fuck yeah! yeah. Luck! Shade Lewis. Sexy. Shade Lewis. Come on. I like this. I love, I this, love this blue eyes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Everything's gonna work out just fine yeah. with this blue eyes around. Did I tell you I was a smooth operator? Yeah. yeah. I said smooth operator. Yeah. Hey, baby, I don't know if you know who I am. I'm old cool. blue eyes from the Hard Luck Show. Why don't you lay back and spread your yeah. uh, smile across your face? Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Just take your pan, move your panties to the side. Uh, yeah, make sure it's pointed at the microphone when you do that. All right, man. This is uh, good stuff, bro. That definitely badass intro for you. Yes, sir. We have on a dear, dear old friend of mine. Dear friend of mine. Nobody's old. We've been friends for a long time, man. Come on. Dear friend of mine. Incredibly talented, talented artist. Yeah. And I'm proud to say this guy's a friend of mine. Long time, man. Me and this dude. Let's introduce... The fabulous Mr. Robert Standish to the show. Welcome, Robert. Thank you. Robert. (laughs) Fabulous, man. This dude. Come on. Robert Standish. I tell you, bro. Look at him standing up for him. Hey, ladies. 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 They got to keep his shirts on in here. Put that that shirt down. I know. Listen, if you, if you, they're even. Yes, he's signing autographs afterwards. You meet him outside. He'll sign your okay. breasts. All right, he'll, he'll sign, sign your, your breasts. We got markers. We got all that shit. Oh my god, they're even getting their pets naked for him. It's unbelievable. I just need like a sock that I can cut with scissors. I go out there and sell pieces of the sock to all the fans. <laughs> Listen, I can understand. By the way, Robert Standish, I can understand why they were so excited. I mean, the guy comes in. He's probably got the coolest fucking oh, flip flops I've ever seen. Super the most fashion. comfortable looking guy in town, right? <laughs> he's like. 
like comfortable and fashionable. He's got yeah. pink striped fucking me. pants. A fucking what is Just this look? So, yeah, I don't know, man. What, what kind of? Kid? But girls see this guy uh, and the clothes fall off of him, bro. Uh, yeah, and they're taking their clothes off. They dark, haven't even started talking. Dark wet stains oh, in their crotch, dude. Right? You want right. to fucking win? You hang out with Robert Stan, <laughs> dude. You got a fucking Rob- day. You will soak up so much dude. fucking game. You got to keep your girl. You got to keep your girl away from him. Is what I, I, mean, I, I, I told absolutely. my wife. I'm like, you're never meeting Robert Stan. No, 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 no. This handsome motherfucker. I gotta have them engaged before fucking I introduce him to Robert. Right, bro, exactly. Right? And he's like, some shit. he's like one of those guys that's kind of like, you know what I mean? He's got like a stylish haircut, but it's not, it's not, you know, uh, overdone or pompous or any of that kind of shit. He's just got a kind of a kind of like he wakes up like that, right? He's exactly. got a real nonchalant. You realize, that you realize my mom picked out this outfit. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. And no. you know what? I'm playing, I'm playing. Dude, this guy <laughs> is so handsome. Let me tell you something. Yeah, this guy's so. Let me, I'm gonna tell you something. He's gonna start this off. Like yeah, this. let's I've do known it. Rob. Yeah. For quite a few years, okay. Right. Wow. Let me just tell you one thing. Go ahead. I sparred. I sparred with this guy. I mean, this guy sparred. Boxed. We boxed. and sparred together. Out. Back Bare in the days. Yeah, or with the fucking gloves. No, with the gloves on, man. Back, backyard you... boxing. Backyard boxing. Estevan Oriol. Estevan Oriol. Yeah. This motherfucker for one can box for two you might look at robert standish and mistake him and think that this dude like you might say the wrong thing and then you might be picking yourself up off of the ground <laughs> because all right so let's not wait but not- i'm not i'm not gonna go one step further go ahead there was this day where you guys are looking at rob you're looking at the guy that i'm talking about we were, I'm at my house or something and he pulls over and fucking we're talking from my house some guy fucking does something like almost fucking Rear ends him or something. Dude's like, hey, motherfucker. And Rob gets out of the car. He goes, motherfucker. And the dude gets out. And this dude runs over, does a karate kick in the middle of this dude's chest, bro. <laughs> Sends his ass. That dude got in his car and drove away, bro. He got scared. I <laughs> go, man, it? dude. I go, and Look and at right the then, smile. Look at the smile. Right when you then, tell though, that story, I, he loves that story. Look listen, at his face. Bro, He's like, yeah, that was me, uh, motherfucker. Look at when, when that happened. He, I didn't even get a chance to say anything or react before he was fucking handling this guy. I was like, fuck, bro. And I just uh, earned a whole. I always had respect for him, but it was like he ain't that guy. I just, I'm just letting you know he ain't that guy. Because you, know? you might get it fucked up because he is on the featherweight side, right? I mean, he's not sure. He's thinner, sure, right? So you might think like I'm gonna push this little pipsqueak around, or I'm gonna get out of my truck. And I'm going to talk in an aggressive, bass-filled tone. Yeah. And I'm going to intimidate this motherfucker. Guy looks like a children's doctor. Exactly. <laughs> okay. I love that. Right. And fucking you, A. Hey, and you're going to be hey, picking up your fucking hey, teeth. Rob the children's doctor. I didn't say that. Steve did. So if you want to karate kick him in the chest, you be my guy. No. The, the, the background to the story, there is one little aspect that Lucky is favoring me on. And mm-hmm. that is there was a moment where he, uh, the the guy did see Lucky, and Lucky puffed out his chest. That's just how he stands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but it was <laughs> there was a look, and I was trying to keep the guy's attention on me. And I right. actually told Lucky go back in the house. I got this. Holy yeah, shit! Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah he did. Yeah, 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 yeah. Shit! Check yeah. my ass. Holy boy, did, shit! Boy, did I tell you to come out the house? Holy Get back in that motherfucker. Hey, hey, boy, this is man's business. Get back in the fucking house. <laughs> yeah, he house. did. Yeah, he did. You got to be pretty fucking tough to tell Lucky you're back yeah, up to go did. back in the he house. He was in the moment. I don't need help. He was in the moment. He I don't want you to red. get hurt. I just, yeah. I can't be responsible for you too, Lucky. Get
get back in there. <laughs> but I had already, and you got to remember, I had already received a couple good stiff jabs from this guy. Right. Sparring. So you didn't so have I didn't any questions. So get hold his own. Yeah. I was like, yeah, okay. You know, I wouldn't be in the, you were, and, and he received a couple and he didn't bitch you, him and complain about nothing. Yeah, no, yeah. Lucky was uh, the people that I backyard box with, which were a ton. And let's face it, Estevan, his crew that he was bringing over, these weren't little guys. Right. So, and these, you know, these guys were all usually all tough. Mm -hmm. So I would say that of all those guys through the years, you were the guy that I thought was actually one of the best boxers. Oh, man. You yeah, see, this nice. is why I brought yeah. him all the ways down to make that statement today. God damn. Yeah. You know what? Well, that's I'm a big a compliment from yeah, you because yeah. a lot of guys were down there with hey. you and. Hey, yeah. hey, hey, yeah. listen, let me tell you something. For a right. big guy, very athletic. Ah, listen, not not that big out. guys can't be athletic. What I think what I meant is, yeah, what I'm saying is big and fast. Right. He's fast. Let me tell you something. Let me yeah. tell you something. Let's Thanks. just all cut the fucking horse shit right now. All right? I've worked out with Lucky, and I've seen, and I've lifted weights with Lucky. Lucky doesn't, Steve doesn't do the kind of weightlifting where it's like he counts to 10 and then takes like a 10-minute break and then counts. Like, the guys do over there doing quadricets, supersets, sweating, out of breath, and all that shit. And if you ain't prepared for that, that's just him lifting weights. So if you're saying, right? You're saying, sir, if you're here to say that out of all the myriad of big motherfuckers you fought with uh, on Estevan's crew, that Steve is big and fast. Yeah, he's fast. That's saying something, my yeah. friend. That is saying something. Have you ever been punched in the head by Mr. Steve Luciano? Oh, yeah. And what's that feel like? <laughs> Tell that to the listeners. <laughs> it rocks stupid. the bell. Yeah? Yeah? Yeah. yeah. Does, it, does it feel like a semi-truck uh, colliding with your feet? <laughs> Diesel for sure. <laughs> All right. yeah. Hey man. Hey, yeah. hey, uh, listen, very rarely do I get to talk to a guy who's actually gotten a fight with you and lived. So oh, let man. me fucking do oh, it. Uh, don't start crazy. that. So what's it? And have you ever punched Steve in the head? We yep. we jabbed. Yeah, we bro. Jabbed. I caught. I caught like, some. Okay. What does it feel like to punch Steve, Lucky, Luciano? This is an exclusive, my friend. What's it like to punch Steve, Lucky, Luciano in the head? Well, in retrospect, it's. <laughs> quite a a feat <laughs> but at the time i actually didn't know him the first time i ever met him was estevan just bringing him to my backyard <laughs> that's the first time we met was yeah. when we boxed yeah and a matter of fact we started off the round i went first with lucky before estevan so you know, I could tell there was something there, and uh, so I was a little cautious for sure. Wait a second, what kind of a thing is that? So you, it, so Estevan <laughs> is like, "Hey, Rob, I'm going to show up to your house with some people for you to fight." Exactly, yeah. and, That's and exactly he what it was. he always would want to see yeah. what's going to happen. Yeah. He likes the drama, yeah. you know. So, and it's, like, why are you agreeing to this? Because he ain't no fucking punk. Yeah, but he ain't how no does Trump. that? Like, how does? Okay, you introduce us, man. When you're about it, you just you just roll with it, bro. He got gloves. He got. We come over. It's like, yeah, square up. <laughs> right. So it's like he hey, squared up with anybody who came through the door. That's the type of guy Robert is. Hey, is the rumor true that your doorbell was a boxing bell ring? Is that true? <laughs> As the mom would show up and say, "Hey, I got a guy for you to fight," and then all of a sudden, Steve's. Hey, come on. 
honestly, how far did your ball shoot up into your body when you saw Steve <laughs> step up for the fight? Mid chest. All right, and so and so Steve, when you go over, so what do you do? Esteban's like, hey. I have no idea. Esteban pops his stuff <laughs> on me like fucking. I don't know what the fuck. Does he <laughs> tell you but, before you drive? No, but he sees a guy. He sees a child doctor with gloves, <laughs> right. so he's not freaked out. Wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. So so you're driving around with Esteban. He's like, hey, you want to pick up a piece of pizza, dog? And you're like, sure, let's go. And you run around. He goes, oh, by the way, I got to make a stop. Come on in. And then, and then as you're entering, he's like, he's hey, like, here's some gloves. You got a boxing match. You know I what? scheduled you. Know what? No, but it's funny because if I think back about it, like Esteban, we're probably driving over this. It was like, I got to go over because I didn't know him, right? And yeah. I got over to my boy Rob's house. But I think at some point in time, the conversation goes, yeah, he's a good dude. He's a white boy, but he, he ain't no punk or something. Like, he gets kind of like chum the waters, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> He had this the whole time in his head, you know, like exactly. And, uh, finally, when he gets back there and he goes, "Yeah, yeah, you need this. You guys need to." And he's putting the gloves on. As next thing I know, Steph, I was pushing gloves on in my hands, right. slicing them up, right? You know, okay. Yeah, and but it, it was great, dog. It's like, hey, wait uh, a second, wait a second. How old are you, Steve? When this is going on, I, I'm in my early twenties. Okay, and Rob, how old are you? Uh, we're. we're same age. same age, yeah. Same right. age. So okay, so you're starting to lace up the gloves, all and 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 now all of a sudden it went from just hanging out with Estevan. Now you're in a kind of an amateur boxing match. I'm 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 thinking like this dude's gonna get into the ring with me, yeah, and he's just gonna run around and like he's <laughs> about one second he's gonna be like I'm not doing like I'm totally thinking right. That's are awesome. you puffing up and are you like doing I'm just extra, like man like you know I'm not, swinging your arm? No, no, like, he, was, he was very calm. Yeah, but but he was gonna he was gonna hit me. Did like, he give you any looks? I could tell. Did he give you any looks in your face? Like, well, he car- he carries that energy, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Like Chun Li from uh, Blood uh, Blood Fight Blood Sport, right? Blood yeah, sport. yeah. No, he carries he carries that. You're gonna you're gonna get hit. And so, what are you doing, Rob? You're sitting there now. Are you going like? He's underestimating me. I can tell I got a little fucking special left hook for this motherfucker right here. Or are you legitimately like, how did I get into this? No, no, I've I've done done it enough. Yeah, and uh, I used to train at Hoover Street Gym on Sixty Seventh and Hoover. Yeah, and so it, it wasn't a foreign situation, but there's always size and attitude. Sure, and I I know that Esteban wasn't bringing over guys who didn't have something. No paper so, champs. Exactly. Got it. All right. Yeah. All right. How yeah. many rounds did you guys go on the first one? I, maybe one or two rounds, man. We just sparred. And yeah, I, and we I went remember, two. We yeah. went two. And I threw some like, <clears throat> not that all, not that all my my punches landed at all because Rob knows defense. He, he knows how to move. Yeah. But I did land a couple that I threw that were like it wasn't matter that he was like whoever it was whoever was standing in front of me was going to throw that but was going to catch that punch and he caught a couple and i remember i caught him at some point in time i caught him like on flush on the chin right and he was like we could see it for a second but he just took that shit and was like shook it off whatever and just kept on fighting i was like this motherfucking yeah he's been hit right yeah dude he, he yeah it was like all of a sudden it was like all right we're equal we both know what's up here you know what i'm saying and certainly he cracked me as well Look, it's, you know, it's funny he, that my, he watered my eyes. He lit me up. He got me in the nose. You know, but it's all good. It's so funny because we have the exact same memory of it. He did get me a good one. Yeah, and it was obvious that they both, both Esteban and him, saw that. Oh, he he got him. You know. Yeah, it was but, over. But it, but the fight was no way over for right, me. Right, you right, know? So, right, right. So right, right. So and I was fine, but I could see that for a second he was like. 
oh shit, I just fucking you know that really rocked his fuck, world. Yeah, that should yeah, have yeah. fucking ended things. But it it was uh, it was all within the realm of what. Is it true what the Let rumors? Me, is it true uh, about the rumors? Is it true rumor, that uh, Rob pulled you close <clears throat> and like what Muhammad Ali said to the other guy? Did he pull you close to even say, "Is that all you got?" <laughs> yeah, 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 that would be funny. <laughs> but what I will say is this: is uh, and I bring this up and hey, listen. You can call me what, old school, retired, whatever you want to call me. But there's two. There's there's a couple things in life, man, that I watch how people react, and that is when. You're in the midst of getting your fucking ass handed served served to you, or you're in a fight, or like physically, like how you respond to that tells me about kind of who you are. Right. Okay. Right. Because people can go all sorts of different ways right. in the middle of that shit. Right. And the other is like when you're in the midst of like when you're being shot at. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. <clears throat> when there's some like what that person's how they're operating during that, you know, or right. maybe a big riot or something. If there's bullets it, flying and your homeboy pushes you towards the gun and runs in the opposite direction. It's different shit, man. Right. And when people get their bell rung, they respond differently, you know? Right. And a lot of people, I have to say, fold it up. It's all good until you get hit in the nose and they fold it up. Dude. And Rob's just like, not that guy. And right then he like earned a part of my respect. I was like, right away, I was like, you know? This dude's all right with me, man. You know, and and we formed, he's got heart. We formed a friendship, and you know, and then that thing happens in the street, which uh, you know <laughs> solidifies. Uh, but you got to remember, man. Like this gentleman, dude, on a daily basis, like this is a this guy isn't no fucking tough guy looking for problems. Just like a great, great yeah, just an awesome dude, man. You know, and uh, wait a second, but he has a side to him, dude. That's like. He, he's all man. He ain't no fucking... Don't mistake this guy. You know what I'm saying? Listen, what... So, I know a lot of dudes, you know, like Old Blue Eyes or others who are in mm. Muay Thai, right? They, they train in the martial arts, right? And they almost maybe beat up a homeless guy in a park or something. I don't know. And... <laughs> but... What is it like to actually karate kick a guy in the street? That rarely actually really happens. Like, what was going through your mind? Did you do a flying kick? Like, did you no, do it was more to get the guy's attention. I got you. Yeah. <laughs> you know how he answers that? Yeah. I was just getting his attention with my left foot. Hey, you know, that was just a condiment on the fucking fish sandwich <laughs> I was about to serve him. The, 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 you know, before we move on, which, yeah, yeah. 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 which we, we will. Well, I don't think we should. <laughs> just, just talk about fighting this whole fucking it wasn't a fight i was even looking for the guy <laughs> check, check it out like I, bruce lee you I was just <laughs> trying to be a nice guy you fucking it's only for self like visiting his friend that's right. all he was doing. there it is so i was literally maybe a block um just before getting to lucky's place and i was making a left and the guy didn't make the left so i gave him the softest double honk like right. the softest right and nobody would have thought anything about it, you right. know, because the light had already turned red for him to make the left. I mean, you're just a regular guy. Uh, basically, I, I, I'm hoping that's right. how it's perceived. Yeah. So he makes his left. Right. I make mine. I, <laughs> I pass him, but he's now stopped as I'm passing him because he's now stopped dead center. And as I'm going around, my windows were already down. It's during the summer. It's hot. Okay. And he starts going off. Okay, and you're just trying to be nice. Yeah, but I didn't even say I didn't even respond to that. Of course. So I keep driving because <laughs> I'm uh, I'm I'm about my business, mm -hmm. 
But I'm thinking this guy's going to think that I'm pulling over to fight. Right, right. right. Okay. They told me another hundred yards up. Yep. Right. Yep. And you're just trying to see your friend. He's going trying and, to be a nice guy. And but I say if he's stupid enough to do that, <laughs> then I'll deal with it. Right. Right. And that's exactly what happened. I went to pull over in a space. And the guy, of course, stops his car, gets out of the car, and that's when it all started. Before it all actually started, did you say to him, like, look, I don't want to get into this with you, man? No. Did you tell him, because no. I would punch you, and then you would die, and no. then you're fucking no. parents would no. sue me? Did you try to give him a chance? No, I felt that um, he, he brought it a little too much. Oh. So... Listen. Yeah. Sometimes a puppy needs to yeah. uh, whack on the on the rear end. Yeah. Having said that, go ahead. Uh, that's not my mo, like Steve said, and it's actually Lucky who was one of, I would say, which is pretty ironic actually, because for such a badass, he was the one that actually handed me a piece of material one time. It was called the Seven Day Mental Diet. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And it Look was based on Steve. He remembers that. He loves that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and uh, it was a life changer and it um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with it obviously you are Steve mm -hmm. but um, it was written I think in the 1920s it's only a pamphlet yes. maybe of about 12 to 20 pages, pages yeah, absolutely. right and it was written by a philosopher back in the day uh, he was like a new age philosopher Emmett Fox Emmett Fox that's right uh, you know it or you I've just... heard of Emmett Fox a million okay. times yeah. Steve's trying, always trying to get me to read stuff but I'm a, I'm a knucklehead I don't read anything yeah he, you, what is that book you want me that you're going to get me? Conversations with God. He's trying to have mm -hmm. me talk to God. All right, go ahead. Yes, yeah, Emma Fox. So anyway, it was just one of these things that he he placed it in my hand. You, actually, you, you you didn't give me a copy. You you, you were really hyped about it. Okay, mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah, yeah. And the way he, uh, for some reason, it just it I absorbed it. It the, was the right like, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I went and go. I went and bought it. And uh, shortest read in my life. Right. right. And um, it was so fascinating that something written in 1920 not only seemed relevant, but it seemed so contemporary. Right. Like, um, so I was fascinated by what was in it. And it was so easy in terms of the read, but practicing it was actually one of the hardest things that I've ever done, which was basically for seven days. Go ahead. Not to... Uh, uh, dwell on a negative thought. Now, now that doesn't mean. Uh, okay, well, as an example, let's Hold say. Hold on a second. Let's slow it down. Sure. You're, you're you're throwing a lot out there, and 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 Mr. and Mrs. Earbuds need to hear this. All right. Uh, the guy who's known as the West Side Fists, uh, Mr. Rob, uh, <laughs> is also saying, like, look, one of the toughest guys uh, in the streets handed me one of the most spiritual, life changing books. Mm -hmm. Correct? Mm -hmm. Did I get that wrong? Uh, you got it right. Okay. And you're saying <clears throat> it's called the seven-day diet. It's actually fairly simple for the mind. Seven-day mental diet. Right. And it's simple. It's fairly simple. It's not a big book. The concepts are fairly simple. The read is simple. But, but the practice. Very difficult. And the practice is what? So for seven days, you are having thoughts and okay. reactions. Yeah. And it's, you know, like a cycle. So... You are focusing on whatever uh, through your day, and because you now have this literature that you've decided to commit to, 
you realize either you have tons of negative thoughts <laughs> or you're not the most negative thinking person. I had no idea just how negative I was in my thinking. Mm. I had no idea until I read this book. And what were these negative thoughts? Just give us a general, like, were you like, hey, who's that fuckhead in the truck? That wants to <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It could be mm. easily that. Go mm. ahead. But it's everything from financial to uh, personal relationships to people on the street to just everything. And I was literally... Yourself. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So before I knew it, I actually... Oh, here's another little catcher to the book. Go ahead. So if you have a negative thought that you dwell on, you got to go back to day one. And start start the diet over. How many times did you start over? Um, I think I started over only one time. I decided to be super disciplined about it, but I'm going to throw something in. Go ahead. My boy Lucky said he had a hard time with it. Mm -hmm. So he already set me up for the challenge. So I'm thinking, okay, he had a hard time with it. I got to try all the harder. Mm -hmm. Right. So anyway, um, I found that after doing it the second time, yeah, I got through it, and it was like for about three to five years, the way I was thinking, uh, okay, so imagine you have a negative thought. I would use like a visual in my mind of let's say an ember for a fi from a fire landing on my shoulder. Okay. And let's mm -hmm. say I didn't mm -hmm. want to either burning my skin or thing. So I would imagine myself flicking it off. Mm -hmm. And that was the negative thought. I would just flick it off and then I'd move on. Blue eyes, are you writing this down, motherfucker? This is good stuff. This is yeah. good. Yeah. Right, go ahead. So I think it is important to have a visual. Some people, they have a rubber band on their mm -hmm. wrist and they flick it. Uh, oh, okay, okay, okay. For wh whatever it is. Got it. But what I found mm -hmm. interesting about it is, is that most people end up in patterns. And the pattern of negative thinking, obviously, it makes sense that it would become a pattern. Yeah. And what I found is once you make the decision, I'm not going to be a negative thinker, it forces you to make decisions quicker instead of going back and forth on something that is bringing it to the negative. Mm -hmm. So I found that I became more decisive in my choices too. So let me ask you this. Uh, how long is it that you have to reset? Like how long are you focused on a negative thought before you're like, oh, I focused on it so long now I got to start over. What, how do you measure that? Yeah, it didn't say in the book, but I think it's something that it's relative to the person. For me, yeah. if it was more than, I would say, 60 seconds, okay. ma maximum two minutes, yeah. I felt I was dwelling. Was there a particular subject matter that you dwelled on more naturally than others? This was a, a long time ago. You know, this was probably in 2005. Yeah. And uh, so I don't, I don't remember what the subject matter was. What I will say, and it's nothing I'm proud about, sure. is that many years later, I did get into a cycle of negativity and stuff for whatever reason. And I just felt that weight wasn't as easy to lift even after I had had that practice and knowledge and I felt like, okay, my house is really clean. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't have <clears throat> to clean to that level. That was deep cleaning. Right. But I, for some reason, and I was going through some uh, exceptional challenges. Okay. But um, I was a little disappointed that I couldn't navigate as clearly 
as in I did in that time. Oh, Blue Eyes, you're nodding in agreement. Can you please tell us what you're agreeing with and what challenges you're going through right now? Um, yeah, I mean, I, like you, went through something where, you know, I was on top of my game, cleared my house. So, as, as What you was said, that? Be specific. Uh, ALA. And other and the other thing, dude, Vipassana, dude, he oh, yeah, was in yeah, a yeah. non-speaking meditation thing, okay. uh, and he didn't break silence even when a fat Asian woman at that same thing farted during one of the <laughs> meditation scenes. That's a true story, by the way. It is a true story. Okay, go ahead. I didn't. Ha- I didn't even break uh, the agreement. The when my um, roomie told me that he was leaving. Right. Um, uh, <laughs> how many so How many days trailer. did you do it? Ten days. Ten days. Yeah. And he even cried. Right, you cried at some point thinking about your family because they were away and your dog and your son and your wife and you had like tears or you felt a lot of high emotion. I don't remember. God damn, I hate you and your memory. I hate it. He, did, he said that uh, he doesn't remember things. And later, selective memory. Yeah, then I ask him later, and then he's like, "Oh yeah, that was a remember Probably. about that chick that, that sucked his right. dick across so the street." So go on, go on, Sean. Okay, um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, but coming back to and getting in, you know, just life happens to you, and then. You know, you've developed these tools in order to to come to some sort of understanding with yourself. And then it's just not you're not able to to get back to where you were almost. Or that the tools aren't as effective effective, as they were the first time. Yeah. And I think but but one of the reasons why I'm also sharing that aspect of it is because because it made such an impact to this day, at least it reminds me of, okay. I still can go there mm-hmm. and I need to go there. Right. And it it just it does help. That that, that the fact that you know, okay, I did I did cross this bridge one time before. Right. So it can be done again. Right. And then it also is a reminder like it's time to cross the bridge. Right. So yeah. Well, you know what they say is like when people have depression and like very heavy depression and they get on uh medicine. They come to an understanding through the medicine that there is a place outside of the depression. Mm. And some people can get off the medicine because they understand that there is this endpoint. Right. Mm-hmm. So just the knowledge that there's an alternative right. or that it exists can actually have some healthful right. mental benefit. called hope. Right. Yeah. yeah. Hey, so listen. Yeah, go ahead. Um, you know what's on top of this, and we're going to kind of approach into it, but Robert... Standish is an exceptional, just artistic, bro. I mean, this guy what? is creative on multiple levels. Yes, he's a pan. He's done a lot of different things. And, and you know, I've always known Robert to be a, a painter primarily. Um, that's what he does. And, and when I think of somebody who's a contemporary painter that really paints, not talking about any of this sideshow mobile I'm, I'm talking about somebody who's a real contemporary painter you mean he's not mainly shown at like a at a, at a county fair or at like one of the farmers markets i don't even know if markets. it's about where you're showing but i just like he is a true craftsman you know i've seen him in mid work i've seen his work i've come to seen him when he's in the middle of doing his work and um his some of his process and uh he just i mean and when i'm telling you dude that his shit's off off the hook. Yeah, you can Google him and check it out. And you know, I wanted you to share a little bit about your journey as an artist and where this began, um, Robert. And I know that it's been a it's been a road too. It's not been for you. It's been a you know you are somebody 
when they talk about staying, continuing to show up, just continuing to show up, continue no matter what. I've watched you go through some times where you've like had to resize and refigure it out and re yeah. like a lot of like re and I thought I was there, but I ain't there. I thought this was going to be it, but that's not it. And you've stayed true to to art and you've even moved around in it. I've watched you. Tell us about that, man. Tell us about that. Yeah, you're paying attention. It's it's nice to hear it from you. So um, basically, I was interested in some other things prior to art. It was um, psychology that I was finishing up a degree, mm. and I thought I was going to become a clinical psychologist. Really? Got, yeah, he got a B. You got a BA in psychology, yeah. right? Yeah. All right. And um, that just seemed like the direction I was going. And as I was getting close to graduation, the registrar's office said, hey, you're short liberal arts uh, credits. You, you won't be able to graduate on time. And it was uh, a little information a little late. So within about two and a half weeks... I signed up for a study abroad program in Italy. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. And it just so happens, like, after that registrar gave that information, I was like, what am I going to do? And I went to the cafeteria, and there was a poster. <laughs> it said, study abroad program, Italy. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, let's do that. And so I went there. and uh, Where was in Italy? Florence. Oh, that's beautiful, right? Molto bello. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so that's anyway, um, I was there for a solid year. I was taking Italian and uh, basically every liberal arts course, <laughs> including painting and sculpture. And I just really enjoyed painting. What did you enjoy about painting? I think like anything that somebody enjoys, it's the way you feel as you're doing it. It's just that everything else becomes secondary and you just love being, love being in that kind of moment. At what point when you took this course and you didn't really have this feeling yet, at what point in this process are you holding the brush and dragging the brush across the canvas or whatever it was and creating the shapes with the colors that you go, fuck, I love this. Mm. Well, I don't necessarily remember the exact moment because, you know, even as a kid and stuff, you know, you have some art classes and there was a, a few moments that I, I had the experience of enjoyment. It's just that there was a concentration of being immersed in this painting class and let's say the janitor would come to clean up and stuff. And I just, I, I did not look forward to that moment. Mm. And I remember even offering him money uh, on occasion so that I could stay longer and continue painting. And when I got back to Los Angeles, I had a girlfriend at the time and she, I was, I was saying I'm conflicted because I, I did enjoy the psychology and I felt that I would be of service I wanted to work with youth at risk, mm -hmm. and I just felt like in my own life, those uh, that age range was was the hardest because legally there's not much you can do, you know, because you you are a minor, right. but you still now are kind of at a point where you're seeing things and you want to have a stronger voice, 
uh, in, let's say, the direction your life's going, but you're kind of like, you're kind of in this weird zone. At right. least that's the way I see Still it. Still a kid. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I did, I was conflicted about giving up maybe that aspect of being of service. And I felt that art seemed maybe a little more selfish. Um, having said that, so I said to my girlfriend, I was like, yeah, I'm feeling conflicted about this, but I think I prefer painting. Mm-hmm. And- was there any sense of trepidation within yourself as well as to um, whether or not this would be a practical decision? Like, was I going to be able to make a living? Is this practical? Or did you not, th- that didn't enter into it at all? Absolutely. Mm. And it was also the progress I had already made towards this degree and all right. of that. But she said in that moment, just go for it. And literally, that was the moment because she said it so clear. Mm-hmm. And I was ripe for <clears throat> making the decision, I guess. Yeah. And I, it, it felt great to, to decide so decisively, mm-hmm. you know? May I ask another question? Was it part of also being in the environment of creativity and painting that you enjoyed? I mean, you were talking a little bit about how part of it was you liked the process of the painting, but you were paying a janitor to let you stay in that room mm-hmm. doing that. So is also part of it the world of painting and creating that you enjoy? It's definitely the world of creating, but that's a very personal and individual thing. So I could be far removed from, let's say, people... And, uh, you know, let's say the art world. As an example, like there's people who want to do something. Uh, I'll use acting as an example. But let's say you could do acting as a hobby. Right. Okay. If you really loved acting, you could do it as a hobby. And I think that's what I'm saying is like if you really love something, you can do it as a hobby. So to choose to do it as a career, it becomes something else. Mm And so I always loved making art because for me, creativity is tapping into the source of the most omnipresent, most powerful source on the planet, in the universe, because everything is created, you know, everything. And it's just to connect with that meaning your intention, your act of creating something immediately connects you to it. To me, that's, uh, I wouldn't want to resist or hesitate with that. Most people mm, mm, go wow. in the, follow the opposite line of thinking that you just laid out. Most people think that if you love something, it can't be your hobby. But I find it interesting what you're saying. You're saying if you truly love something, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're saying it actually could be. Because you love it so much, you're willing to do it in this level. Yes, exactly. I think that's... Turning something into a business, I find a lot of people, okay, um, they lose their love for it because they can't separate just the enjoyment of doing that thing because now it has to bring them their salary. Right. Yeah. And all the other things. It becomes a job. And, you know, life isn't fair, so, um, you know, who's going to give you all of this? You have to go get it. You have to make it. You have to make sure it happens. Well, so let's get down to brass tacks then. We live in a sea. I mean, I would say today if you were to fucking throw a rock, you'd hit somebody that would say, you know, make your job your passion and then it doesn't seem like work. What is your experience in addition, maybe, or tweak of that based on what we're talking about right now? I just think that 
anything you do, at some point it's going to have pluses and minuses. And you just have to learn to find ways to be excited about that other part. So now I do enjoy the business part. I didn't, I wasn't somebody who was programmed or conditioned to have a knowledge of business and to appreciate business, accounting, whatever it was, sales. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll, I'll use an example of Lucky. I think of him as a master salesperson. Right. Okay. But I don't think of like, oh, Lucky, he's my salesman friend. Right. It's not that, but I admire that quality in him. And like listening to you guys, I immediately admire your ability to bring the energy up right. to this podcast. Like there's just certain things. Now, could I do that just stepping in here? Not necessarily. I had to like listen to you guys and watch for a second. I was like, holy shit. This is amazing what they're doing here. Okay? <laughs> no, oh, brother. No, no. no. It's all red. Okay. Look at Sean. I never seen Sean so happy. Look at him. He just he looks like Sean he just won the lottery, bro. Uh, look well, at I'm being serious. I know. But the point is, but the point is, it's contagious. Right. And the point is, is if you open yourself to at least the possibility that there could be some enjoyment of learning whatever it is that you might not necessarily like about another aspect of what you have to do. Right. It's amazing once you open that up and just go for it. You'll find something. So That's I, I, awesome, I, man. It is. I almost hear him do, say- Do you automatically think like that automatically? What do you mean? Say that again. Say, yeah, yeah, there's going to be some good shit. There's going to be some bad shit. You know what? But maybe I can start looking at the bad shit- as it can all be good. Yes. If I'm willing to take a chance, yes. I might actually find something in there that challenges my life. You know what? I'm going to tell you something even more than that, mm -hmm. to, to, at least from my experience, and that is this. I sometimes think that the stuff that starts out as the bad shit in the process mm -hmm. is actually the shit that you are spiritually called to understand. If you can work through that and embrace the death hug of the bad shit of something, you might actually make it to... Uh, maybe infinite levels in your expression of that area. That's how I think mm, now. And mm. when people tell me like, like hey man, you know, if it's, if it's your passion, it'll never seem like work to me. Now this is just me. Robert's not saying this. And I know every artist has a very kind of almost like, I want to say, and I'm not saying necessarily right, but everybody's, every artist that I've talked to is in here and out there, they always have a little bit of a kind of respect for not trying to put, you know, a complete circle around the definition of art, creativity, or whatever. There's always a little space of like, well, you know, everybody's different and this and that and the other thing. But I, on the other hand... You're an artist, too. I have big balls, and I <laughs> fucking carry a sword a lot, and I don't give a shit, and I'll draw a line around, and if I'm wrong, I'm fucking wrong, and we'll move on from there. And I'm saying this. If... The people that are finding negatives in a, a, a passion that they may have, mm -hmm. if they have that negatives and they see that as a sign that this isn't meant for you, then, then they will not make it in that passion. Mm -hmm. And it can remain a passion. And some people are habituated by that through their family upbringing. Mm -hmm. Like if there's any downside to this, then it must not be for me. And I think part of the journey into maturation as a human, like I'm not going to even gender it, 
But maturation as a human is to walk through those signs of this ain't for you. This isn't your exact fit. You're not clicking right now. But you just keep walking. You just keep going. And there will be, like you were saying, Sean, about depression, there is another side. There's multiple sides. Mm -hmm. Like Sean plays D&D and he's got 20-sided dice. There might be infinite (laughs) sides to this dice of life. And so if you can walk through those, then uh, you will make it whatever it is, but you will make it in through that passion. That's the only way. That's the only way. You can't buy your way through it. You can't even talent your way through that. There's a lot of talented garbage. There's a lot of talented <laughs> quitters. There's a lot of talented <clears throat> rich people, but they got no soul. It, it's, not, it's not about that. It's about are you willing to face those aspects and let it cut away certain parts of you so that you can be refreshed or renewed okay what do you think about that mr standish i love it i can't add to it because you said it and it's right Mm. Mm. and see when you say and i want to make this clear (laughs) that almost made me speechless (laughs) like the first time on the show i was like you know what to do with that i was like oh i'm just gonna take it all right i'm 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 gonna go home and tell my wife i'm like i was right about something (laughs) and robert standish said he loved it so what the fuck but I'm going to tell you something, uh, because uh, Robert said a cool thing. He said that, um, you know, I see Steve as, you know, my my sales friend. And, I, and he meant that I think I felt that that is an art form to him to connect with people, to be able to curate or select what is desirable. Right. To bring people from different worlds together to show them a value in something. Uh, is an art form, and and I I definitely agree with you, Rob. I feel that from Steve from since day one. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. And see it's now, you're speaking because I was I was explaining to somebody about you as an artist, and I was I was telling him like this guy's at a place with his with his art, but. Um, when I met the guy, he wasn't at the place he's at now. And it's almost like as you talk about the business end of it, it's kind of like for me looking on the outside, looking at you, it seemed like you were like a lot of artists um, that I've known that were very free-spirited, okay? Very free. You know what I'm saying, Chumahan? Yeah. Explorers. Me and a... I've got a uh, I've got a linen shirt opened up and I've got on some what do they call the sandals the uh, Birkenstocks and I'm kind of free about it you know but I'm cool you know and I do this thing and the the my agents or you know my this or that or the people that handle my business but I do okay you get you guys following me yes but. I it, I don't know why or what I'm picking up on our scene, but it's kind of like I watch you like almost when you talk about the business end, it seems like I watch you mature into a guy that understands there's a whole, and I don't want to say it the wrong way, but political aspect to being a painter, a contemporary painter. There are other things. You can be that guy for so long, but at some point in time, you need to start interacting and 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 going to things and showing your face and and there's like there's more to it and I've watched you almost mature into like you ending up you know you supporting other artists and being involved in other things and like you're in that community man I talked about it with Casper Brindle 
you were one of the first names that comes up, you know? Remember? I love Casper. Casper. And we were talking about some of your ingenuity in the stuff you do and stuff you've brought to like an L.A. art scene, which is in, in, our, in our, our world is very different hmm. than other places, bro. Like L.A., it's, it's different, you know, and, um, you know, it looks like you just kind of come full like you're entrenched in that world. Not only as a painter, but you know other painters. You're involved in the community. I'm not just this artist, okay, that stands outside of it. You're part of the community. I've watched I, you grow as an artist. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think I think I understand what you're saying in the sense that to become a great artist, all right, and I know Robert's going to never say, oh, I'm a great artist while he's alive. We're going to have to wait until he's dead, and then we can be like, hey, it was a great artist. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is to become a great artist, like, you know, you can have whatever opinions you want about Jackson Pollock, and you can have whatever opinions you want about uh, Salvador Dali. You know, was he a showman? Was he an artist? Are is there really a difference and all that shit? But at the bottom line, I think at some level, you're, you as the artist behind the work also have to be known and interacted with and have a sense, like you were saying, the politics a little bit of aesthetics, politics of art. And Andy Warhol certainly exhibited that. Part, half of what Andy Warhol, to me anyway, is that fa- the stories around all of the shit that, that actually made it up on a wall. So um, turning to you, Robert... Um, do you have do, are you uh, one of those folks that feels like listen nobody should really know anything except what's the artwork and what it says to them or is it part of the art to be known and involved and talk about it or what and talk about the process what are, what are your thoughts on that over time it definitely changed i would say now i think it has to be shared it has to be seen, and it can't just be left to other people to do it for me. Right. Mm. Um, it seems that as I made the decision that I was going to do whatever it takes to make sure that I was able to s- sustain myself making art, Right. Uh, at some point, the reward came back. And so now I feel, let's say, within the last three to five years, the people that I've been working are doing an excellent job at the things that I had always wanted other people to do. And at the time, that was the expectation that they should do. Right. It just, as of course, if you let everybody do something else— and just think everything's going to be okay. Uh, either it's not. Either you're going to get lucky. Maybe it will. Or if you want a combination. If you want um, something done right, you got to do it yourself. Yes. And, and I, I was going to say that. But at some point, you also have to know what to delegate. Right. You know? Right. And But it did seem that some of these areas, you know, because let's say a, t- a typical gallery situation maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, was they just wanted you to paint and they'll take care of everything else. Mm. Right. And, you know, they have their reasons for that. Yeah. And um, having said that, though, um, as it became easier for us artists to connect with collectors potential collectors to connect with other art dealers art consultants and all of that everything started to get shaken up a little bit and that's when 
let's just say uh, you throw in, let's say, a meltdown of the economy. Yeah. Um, COVID. Yeah, well, yeah. And, I, and and yes, of course. But I was going back, you know, to, let's say, 2009. Yeah, housing you know, bubble. Yeah, 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 exactly. So all of a sudden, it, it leveled the playing field. And yet we were... Um, let's say the art, the artistic community was really like, okay, what are we going to do? You know, because right. nobody really needs a painting right now, you right. know, and they right. didn't want to spend their money on that stuff, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which, which is weird because in some ways you could also make the argument, this is the most important time to have a painting. I absolutely. And it's funny that you say that because I, I have asked some gallery people and stuff, um, you know, how, how their sales are going. And, and they said, actually, pretty good. And, uh, you know, without, um, you know, throwing my opinion around, I was, I was curious, why do you think that is? And they said, well, spending more time at home, looking at their walls more. Yeah. And mm. so, you know, th- there, there's those things. And at least, let's say, uh, going back to um, when the housing bubble burst, and let's say even your stocks uh, are failing and stuff. At least you have this artwork in front of you that you can appreciate and potentially will also appreciate, you know, because that is an aspect of what we do. Investment. Yeah, exactly. That you bought it for, you, you, you didn't know who the fuck Pablo Picasso was. He was an unwashed, dirty guy. And you look at this fucking thing and you think, hey. My fucking two-year-old could have drawn that shit. All right, whatever. But he needs 10 bucks. You buy it. And then, you know, 50 years later, fucking thing's worth $2.5 million. That's everyone's dream. Yes, that's the dream. But as, of course, in reality, <laughs> it's, it's usually more savvy people that are buying Picasso. At the time, Picasso was dirty and, uh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> How do you, you know, that's an interesting point because everybody thinks, in fact, including myself, I've gone to, I'll just fucking admit it. I don't care. <laughs> Uh, I've made some shithead moves in my day, and but I have gone to, all right, like a like a garage sale, or like um like one of these Berkeley uh, flea markets. Not even a farmers market, flea market. They used to be called flea markets. I don't know what the fuck happened to those. Anyway, I was walking around and I saw a piece of shit painting. Like it didn't, I didn't. It, it was interesting, you know. It, it was one of those ones with a little texturized and you know all that shit. And it was like for 10 bucks and the guy was right there and he had his whole fucking thing with the paint on it and his jeans had paint on it. So I was a real artist. And then I fucking, I thought, you know what? I'm all, this is an investment. How do I know? It's a lottery ticket, right? And I bought it and then nothing happened and I lost it. Nobody ever heard of that guy and nothing happened. So how do you develop an eye for um, unnoticed artists? Like how can you have an eye for understanding like, oh yeah, this has potential to be very popular at some point. Well, there's a few factors. There's just the sophistication of the viewer, okay? So some people are naturals at being able to recognize a certain aesthetic. Right. And that aesthetic might communicate very early on that somebody here is doing something different there's something about either the composition or the concept, whatever it is, that is is now this tangible product and visual. Right. And some people, let's face it, they have that natural ability to see that. Other people get it more from just being immersed in going to art galleries, going to museums, 
and it becomes maybe a little more of a learned thing. Right. Yeah. So it, it does that answer? Uh, Do you have it? Like, can you? I, I'm not. I don't. I'm not suggesting that you buy art uh, to for investments or anything. But when you walk around and look at things, have you? You've been an artist now for quite a while. So have yeah. you been able to see like, oh, that's interesting. Um, that's that's got a chance for. And then later you look and you're like, holy shit, it's Diebenkorn. And I, I okay, wow, that's heavy duty. Or is it true that you discovered Casper? Is that true? <laughs> no, no, Casper, <laughs> Casper. Uh, uh, yeah, no. I, but I mean, can you do that? I, I, yes, I can. I and I have. I love it. Yeah. Is there is there anybody that you want to say like, yeah, I saw that and knew he was she or he or it was up and coming? Come on, dude. You got punched <laughs> in the face by Lucky, so you can tell us. Yeah. Well, let, let's come back to that. Yeah. And uh, I'm but, writing that down. But uh, but people have come to me and asked me to basically buy work for them uh, as a consultant based on my connection to knowing people. And for me, what it is, is I'll look at, let's say, different artists and stuff. Yeah. And I feel that I can recognize that they're doing something special. Yeah. And that is something that I also want to connect with because I admire and respect it. Right. But sometimes I will purchase the work too. Right. Yeah. I love that. I hope that Mr. and Mrs. Earbuds, I don't know if they understand what a rare treat it is to talk to an artist and to actually get some background on what what is interesting about paintings, what is interesting about composition. It's not all you know pure art, and I don't know anything about the business side of it, but it's also not all business. It's, it's the whole thing. Remember Patrick Hollick was in, and he was like, uh, painters are, you know, good painters are masters of, of light. Yes. He when he said that. that, I thought of Robert. Did you? Because, yeah, I thought of Robert because, you know, there's some very particular pictures that he painted. You think he did this one set of pictures that he did of a woman that he was uh, dating, that he was with, um, and she's in like a, a bathtub, right? Yeah. And I remember it was the first time I had seen the art up really, really, really close. I love it. And I couldn't believe that it was like, it, I thought the fucking thing was like a photo. It was one of those. And I walked up and I was just like, I was blown away. And it was the lighting, like the lighting. If you can, if you, and I even say it, even when I can take it away from Robert Standish and take it like to like a, a cartoon or June Cha, their type of art. But when you understand lighting, shading, the way it's hitting on shit, just like and light in like, water, light in water is a complex thing, a whole thing, and droplets of water and all that is just like it, it's it's to me, it blows me away because I don't know how human eye. I understand how a camera can capture something like that, right? But mechanical. how the human eye is able to. Robert Standish would tell you that the human eye is capturing that can, all the time. It, the only difference is, is are you paying attention to it? And are you aware of it? Is that right, Robert? Yeah, I think your your eye is going to absorb something, obviously because of the way it's it's built, right? <laughs> but it it's, it goes into other parts of you know our our, our brain and right. all that kind of stuff. But I think um, let's say with, with the type of work that Lucky's referring to, that I really did have to work at. It took me a, a long time, but I I was set on accomplishing that technique right yeah but i didn't just pick up the brush and uh, I, I, the first it wasn't painting a photographic memory type uh, thing yeah yeah it didn't just happen can overnight I ask, can i ask a question 
have you did you sell this work? Yes. So how do you come to terms with parting with something like that that took you so long to do? I love that question. Early on, that was tough. But I actually think that's the sign of an amateur in this in the sense that it's not a put down. Right. Uh, it, it, no, no, no. <laughs> it's just a rookie it's, mistake. It's no, a rookie no, mistake. That's I, all. It's, 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 it's a rookie mistake. Sandish isn't saying it's a Don't put down, but I, I'm going to take yeah. it out. Go no. ahead. Okay. What I'm saying is it's a good place to get past that. Uh, so, so yeah, okay, so it comes off like a put down, but it's just a piece of advice. Because if you can get to the point where you're comfortable letting it go, then it's because you know you can do this again. Wow. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's Some people simply, say, that's really hey, just it. That's... If you have any fears that you, that's like with a woman. Yeah, I'm you're going to say that. A motherfucking I relationship. If you said... think that's the last chick you're ever going to get, you'll do anything she motherfucking <laughs> right. says, motherfucker. Hey. She's the last cute chick you're ever going to have. Listen, that happened to Mark Torres. <laughs> he left Mercedes. He went to Lubbock, Texas for 12 years and came back to Goodwill on his hands and knees begging for Mercedes bags because there was no oats to sell. <laughs> there are fucking 2,000 women getting dropped off in this town every day. Just go to LAX. You can watch them all unload off the plane. Like, there's somebody that can replace your ass in a hot second. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I love it. Okay. I so, love that. Right, when you operate from a place of where you're not worried about your next, right? Listen, That's when you're operating. Let me add now that Otherwise, you're just being held captive by something. Yeah. <laughs> you're being held <laughs> hostage yeah, by yeah, something. Yeah. Now there's 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 other Look at Steve's Yeah, face yeah, 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 like, yeah. Yeah, being... yeah, no. I hey, he man. he lit up. Yeah, he did. Um yeah, yeah. So but but there are other things in keeping a piece of work that are can be helpful as an example, let's say you're going to have um, studio visits and you want to have a certain example of the work in that realm, you know? Yeah. So, so that can be helpful. Um, but really what it comes down to is if I'm painting a series and I feel that uh, a particular piece is strong, I feel very strongly about placing it as quickly as possible. Just moves the energy forward. Right. And, and and that way I can get to work that much quicker on creating hopefully another strong piece. How do the how do the ideas for a series come to you? Um well, I switch it up. So, for instance, uh, Lucky was talking about the bathers. That came about because quite honestly, I loved my connection with women yeah, and I loved the idea of painting nudes, but I wanted to do something that was more justified. Right. And I thought, well, bathtub nudity, yeah. uh, uh, very challenging in terms of you're dealing with water. Right. And I also wanted to do something different because historically, oh, by the way, you know, bathing for me the ritual of showering bathing yeah there was something in that as a personal thing that i really think right. is special right. when i shower and stuff i feel psychologically clean right and ready to do my thing you look like you just got out of the shower and right <laughs> he now. always looks like that he always looks like he just stepped out of the shower this guy <laughs> uh, i don't yeah. know but, he, uh, it's listen, good we're well in. thank we're... you but it is a sensibility sure and it is a purity thing too and it's, it's something, something everybody does at some yeah. point most people but i mean everybody <laughs> hopefully no but i you know human con listen my daughter she's uh one year and two months now hmm. 
And for the last eight months, her whole thing has been water, hmm. right? And one of the beauties of, for me, of having a child is that I rediscover like common everyday things because it's new to her and I see her reaction. And I, so she puts her hands in any running water that's anywhere, faucet, hose, outside. She wants to put her hands in it and feel the current of the water on her hands. And for her, this is a very amazing substance and amazing thing that's, that's going on. So I, I kind of, I really understand to a certain extent when you say like, you know, bathing is a ritual. This this thing of water and human experience is is super important. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's maybe the most primal and basic. Yeah. So what leads me to let's say any series is it's just something on a personal level. Right. That can either be more superficial yeah. or run deeper. Yeah. But usually it's something that definitely is internal. In. Since we're on bathing, real quick, um, ex-president George W. Bush did a series of paintings with him in the shower and the tub and everything. What are your thoughts on those paintings? Well, I only saw a couple of them, and I actually thought they were interesting. Right, and they were interesting because they had a simplistic aspect to them, right? Like a childlike innocence? Um, Well, let's face it. There's been artists that um, we know and respect that have painted in a simplistic way. Sure. Um, But that's not so much um, necessarily what I found interesting about them. I just thought they were some good paintings, and I just liked the approach. Um, They satisfied my sense of composition and uh, aesthetic. Okay, so then when this series idea hits you, like, and it hits you at different moments, right? Are, I mean, has, are you ever just, like, driving in a Trans Am with the music just mm-hmm. blaring, then all of a sudden you got it, and you're like, ah, or and do you keep it to yourself and then communicate it to somebody? What, is, what happens there? I like to do what I come up with and not necessarily talk, because the talk part, as you know, sometimes will translate to just more talk and then forgetting about what you talked about. So for me, it's all about if I have an idea that I'm excited about, how quickly can I start it? I love that. So there's there's less distance between the initial thought and the actual execution. Yes. I love that. And have you ever had the experience of telling somebody and then they fucked it all up by being like, well, maybe you should do an upside down Nike swoop or like whatever it is? <laughs> no, there's been people that I've worked with, let's say an art dealer or a consultant along the way that has thrown out a suggestion to piggyback what I do. Yeah. And because I like the idea of not being complete ego that maybe the fact that somebody is showing up and giving me information and and they're in my world, maybe I will explore this. And so I have Mm. done that on a couple times. The, The results actually weren't successful. And they even acknowledged that the direction that they had suggested wasn't the direction to go. But in their mind, that's what they saw and they thought, well, uh, this- spoke on it. Yeah, and they thought, they they were saying that also too because they felt, oh, I can sell this, you know? So I was willing and stuff, but ultimately, you know, there's a a gallerist that I once met and she, she said, the artist is always right. And over time, I started to see the merit of that. Right. Once again, I don't like the ego around that. Right. But there is something to be said for standing behind and moving forward with your choices 
and then shifting based on whatever the next thing is for for you. But that doesn't mean what you did before was wrong. Or needs to be cleaned up or fixed. It just, it just, it just, just, that, yes, that, that was that and it was right. Right. And have you, have you, so one of the things I love to read about is sort of some of the eccentric, strange shit that goes on in the art world just because, you know, in regular society, if you, if you, you, you pretty much, there's a code of conduct and most people, most people adhere to it up to a point in order to just navigate life, right? But then in our, the way our society is designed, we've offered this kind of eccentric space for the artists where we say like artists and the people who have dinners with them, right? Everybody can, you know, a, a person can show up with a parrot on their tits and order a pizza They can have a full down. orgy and it's all right. Or, you know, it doesn't even have to be sexually or, or you know, there's... You know, one artist that only speaks in a whisper and then another one that walks around with a whip and hits champagne bottles, whatever they want. All right? I don't know what the fuck it is. Right? I don't know if I just confess my sexual desire. But the point of the matter is, is have you been to some of these <coughs> soirees and have you seen some very eccentric behavior, Mr. Standish? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Do you love it? Um, it's it's entertainment. Yeah. Um, for me, <coughs> it it really comes down to I want to do the work, and I don't want to be something that. Okay, so for instance, some yeah. people become famous for something, and then they have to uphold that. Just ride it out. Yeah, way down. exactly. And let's just say I'm a little more um, careful about what I'm going to put out about my person right as opposed to just the work i'd much rather just put out the work but without giving any names or shaming anybody but what is there what's the maybe the strangest soiree you've ever been to have you ever been to one where it was like just blow up dolls of (laughs) elton john swinging from the rafters i mean is it what just describe some weird scenes i mean I don't think it was that much. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, <laughs> let's just say that, you know, artists can be very colorful and they can work that. And let's say that some of the people also connected to that world, they appreciate that stuff. So it all comes together and, 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 and moves, it moves in that direction. Once again, that's not, that's not what's calling, calling me. Yeah. Sir, sir, I'm asking you a simple question. I do a lot of depositions. <laughs> so I wanna, want you to answer my actual question, which is, can you please provide an example without giving any names uh, generically of something kind of funny, entertaining, eccentric that you've seen at a soiree? Okay, so I would say... He's going to give you something, dog. Yeah. yeah. So I once went to a party, and it was a, a dinner. It was a sit-down dinner. Uh, that part all was seemingly normal. But... Um... <laughs> Everybody's visualizing this in their own head. Yeah, go ahead, please. Yeah, but there seemed to be a second party in, in another part of the house. Yeah. Yeah. And that part was just basically everybody without clothes and um and but everybody was painting each other and um but but uh but everybody seemed high as fuck and yeah. um yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love that because yeah. Yeah, I mean, just so you know we just got done the, the, the anger who you saw hello to who uh is a uh, a writer a graffiti writer right a graffiti well-known guy 
um, and you guys saw each other. But his previous story, because we we were talking about it, his eccentric. I mean, he just got done telling us he was on five hits of acid, got shot up by the police. Yeah, he got shot like fucking three times by the cops. Right. Wow. So his stomach was open. Yeah. So when we talk to artists, we talk about some eccentric out there experiences or whatever. So I think that's interesting. Was we got to ask Patrick Hollick. I think he would. He, uh, he might have some stories. Patrick oh, yeah. Hollick told us about some Vietnamese yeah, yeah, Filipina yeah. chick that fucking ruled his wor- early world, bro. Oh, yeah. he, he, gave some, he gave us some. He gave us some. He gave us some heat. So when you went to that uh, that painting scene, was it rollers? Was everyone with rollers, or was it giant like felt tipped with uh, just just brushes and and hands? A lot of <laughs> a lot of hands. hands. And was it oil or tempura paint? <laughs> I don't know. It was some of the better work I had seen. <laughs> Are the rumors true? Was George Clooney there? <laughs> uh, all right, so. Um, Let's get, um, now let's have some fun. All right, now we're done with the serious talk. Let's have some fun. Uh, what is it like to have your work shown at a, a, an art museum or like the LACMA or whatever? Because most people are never going to get to experience that. So what is that like, honestly? I think because it starts as an early desire. Yeah. You know, every artist wants that. So that when it really happens, whether you feel that you've earned it, worked towards it and stuff like that, there is something, you know, just personally speaking, that's very satisfying. And you do feel like, wow, um, this actually has happened. And um, it's... um, It's it's very... It's a a great feeling. Right. There's a point at which... On some level, you're gonna you, a, anyone could say like there is no quote unquote making it really in real time like you know there's no, but some sort of threshold has been crossed when society decides for the houses that we've specifically designed for officially like this is art and then for your work to be able to be up there and in that pantheon, um, there pantheon, is pantheon. I love that word. That is, at some level, a feeling of like accomplishment. Like that's very satisfying. Yeah. And uh, so you do a lot of different kinds of work. And can you just what are your thoughts on realism versus abstract painting? So when I started with realism, there was, I guess, in my mind, that to accomplish that, that would be a greater show of talent. Right. And so I had a certain respect for, let's say, the craftsmanship of that. And I felt that it was something that both myself and others could believe in more quickly. Interestingly Mm -hmm. enough, I remember my father, when he was alive, he had come by the house one time and I was, uh, you know, painting this uh, photorealism work and he was an, an abstract painter. And I go... And he liked what I was doing very much and stuff. And this is when I was uh, very early on. And um, I go, but who's going to buy this? You know, like I didn't believe that somebody would actually want to have such a realistic painting of somebody they didn't know. And some of the subject matter I I was dealing with was, even though there was a certain uh, dynamic quality to it. It was a little bit, you know, darker and stuff. So it just was like, he goes, no, no collectors, they, they would buy this, you know, like, but that wasn't the motivation, but, but the motivation for painting, let's say in a realistic way, 
was both to satisfy, in my mind, what meant this could be done seriously. Right. And, and that I would respect this. Over time, I started to want to open up more. I wanted to experiment. I wanted to improvise. I just wanted the work to be more spontaneous. And quite honestly, I wanted it to come from, let's say, a place that I felt was above. Whereas with the photorealism, I felt I was controlling every aspect of it. Right. Mm. And so mm. with abstract, there's a lot more surprises, satisfying mm. surprises. There's more to discover. And I would say, um, yeah, I'll just leave it at that for now. So um, to accomplish a really good abstract painting, yeah. because we don't necessarily know what that looks like, mm -hmm. that for me is at least a greater challenge. Right, because generally speaking, mm. anyone can look at a realistic painting and determine whether or not this is an accurate representation. Yeah, they can They can recognize from what their associations to reality are, and then they can easily just, oh, this technique, oh, he must be... There's reference to it. Yeah, there's right. reference. But with the abstract, if, mm. it, if this line <clears throat> drawing or whatever it is can invoke a feeling in somebody but it's not necessarily referent to something you can visualize in your mind then that might that is a greater challenge yeah and 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 if you meet that challenge i think it's just more satisfying in the success of that because there is something like for instance all of us could be looking at different abstract work and some of us might like some of the abstract pieces and one piece we might all be in agreement with. And yet, what is that thing that we're all in agreement with? Mm. And if we broke it down, it might be interesting that it is because it literally is some things about that that are universal. And, and it, it, it reads clearly. Mm -hmm. um, to me, that is what makes abstract work worthy. That's interesting. Yeah, meaning meaning once it's out there. If you want to make abstract work, that's the most important thing. Yeah. But once it's out there, to make it really worthy for any length of for for it to continue to have a life, it, it needs to have a it needs to have something beyond just the artist wanting to do the work. So another thing that I wanted to ask you, and I always like to ask artists this, especially ones that are, have worked in the different spaces that you've worked, is um, I've grown up, because I'm American Indian, okay, I grew up on a reservation, and so art and in the sort of retrospect to American Indian life and stuff is always kind of like an important thing, right? And then one of the favorite things Westerners like to kind of like explore is like, you know, uh, art as art for itself versus actually this was a blanket that people used and mm. it had some arts on it, but it wasn't supposed to hang up on the side. And for me, I always feel like both sides of those are uns uh, not satisfying answers. Mm. Like I don't necessarily want to believe that American Indians or any tribal people or pre-industrial people never thought of art for art's sake. Because then that would mean like what? So then we, all of us in the West are super advanced. And then on the flip side is, I also don't want to say that um, pre-industrial people, um, you know, didn't also decorate the stuff that they used. 
which is no different than a car today, right? And an automobile today is decorated, stuff we use, T-shirts and all that other kind of stuff. What are your thoughts about art for art's sake, what it means in society, post-industrial and then tribal relationships to art and what that ultimately says at the, at the more basic level, at the primal level of what art is to human life? Hmm. Well, first, I like the idea of beauty being expressed. So it doesn't matter to me if it's being expressed solely for the purpose of uh, art for art's sake. If you want to decorate something with beauty, for me, that is as important as making a piece of art that's on a canvas that's supposed to stand alone on a wall. Mm -hmm. It seems both are still serving a purpose because that art, the way, you know, people will say, oh, yeah, I'm thinking so outside of the box. I'm just painting a piece of art, <laughs> you know. But what, what did you paint it on? You put it on a stretcher bar. It's meant to hang. So there, there, there is still there is a box still there. And that whole way of thinking becomes attached to so many other things. Now somebody needs to buy it. Now somebody needs to take care of it and somebody needs to enjoy it and people need to visit and look at it and now I need to call the museum and donate it to, you know, there's so many things attached. And I could say the same thing for, let's say, a Native American vase and stuff. That ends up in a museum too. So same box. So what does art then what well first of all is art about beauty it doesn't always it, it isn't always about beauty what is it uh, about um well i i, I can't your, answer what it's always about from your perspective i mean listen i i get trapped in these linguistic fucking mm, yeah. waterfalls with a yeah. bunch of semi like uh, uh, <laughs> semi quasi intellectuals that just they don't want to answer anything and they just kind of circle around and i get, i get it we all know no one's the final word on anything ever, and that's never been the case. <laughs> okay, then that, as long as we're, that's the we're, we're good with that. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. proviso. So yeah, yeah. what's art about from your perspective? Expression. Of? Beauty, authenticity, feeling. Authenticity. Is that a more new concept than it used to be? Most likely, I mean, from you know, your perspective, yeah, I was having this conversation with my mom literally two days ago about the word authenticity. She doesn't like the word so much hmm. because she feels it's pretentious. And I, I go, love it. I agree. I love it. I, I, I agree. But, you know, sometimes when we're speaking, let's say in contemporary terms, we have to speak in a language that maybe is the the. The most used. Right. Okay. So, yeah, we could use the, the word authenticity in different contexts, and it's going to sound more uh, pretentious. But I'm, I'm not going to get into that aspect because at least we know the definition of uh, at least we know what I'm trying to say by authenticity. Right. So I'm not going to feel self-conscious about using it. Sure. I do know that when I'm making art, I'll use abstract art. Go ahead. And I'm making it from the heart. That, to me, feels authentic, and that's the place I want to be. Right. So let's go on that theme for a second. That's a great fucking theme because it seems like in every endeavor that is here with us today, 
whether it be streetwear, right? Streetwear has this conversation about authenticity. On the one hand, you got the guys that really did the shit, know the shit, uh, you know, was in the street, knew what the street fashions were and brought it to people. And the people that, some of the people that are buying it are buying it because it represents an authenticity that they feel they don't have. Even though they do have an authenticity, right? They have their experience, but for whatever reason, they're not recognizing that as, as real as what was going on in the streets. And so I'm, lately I've been thinking a lot about, so if we have a discussion about authenticity, it presupposes a fake experience. And there has been a proliferation, at least in the feeling. In reality, I don't know. But at least in the feeling that there's a lot of fake experiences to the extent that it's almost uh, impossible for us to get actual unfiltered knowledge of anything, Hmm. right? Which leads to um, an area for conspiracy theories and other things to grow. Because now it's no longer about what you can truly know. It's just what can you imagine might be plausible or possible? And so with that explosion comes a, another des- an anchoring desire, a grounding desire of having something real, something authentic. And that is then has been cut away from actual physical experience, mainly, I think, by culture's definitions, but because everyone's really having an experience, they're just not necessarily recognizing it. But the idea of authenticity and its value has been cut away from actual experience and has started to become something that is a commodity that you can purchase. Hmm. And part of certain items that you can purchase can carry with them an authenticity. And even the collection itself, if you stick with the collection long enough, and if the collection is big enough, you can turn around and say, look at all my shoes. Look at, it's not just two shoes, it's... 1500 shoes that represent different eras and eventually the collection itself comes to certify the authenticity of the person as the collector steve as a person in streetwear who has one foot in the art world one foot in the business world what are your thoughts on what i just said oh boy he lost me that took a lot of different i think you know what i think it is what i got out of that was that i don't know if authenticity is the word that people are taking pop shots at. I don't even know if authenticity is, yes, we know the concept of what you're trying to say by that word, but I think what's being lost is the removal of the time. The removal of the time also removes the authenticity of it. Like right. you can't buy time. You can buy everything, that, but you can't buy the time. Like it isn't. It's interesting that a guy who spent some time away would have a better understanding of that. You can't buy time. What's the, it's the, um, is it the oak table that they want? Or is it, is it that they know somebody spent, you know, a hundred days making that table or that, that they want or that they know that the wood that the oak table is made out of comes from a ship that was already a hundred years old right so exactly and so as you remove the time a lot of people don't want to have to stay the road and do all that they want to just be able to you know what's claim it it's you know, that, that removal of time. Well, so now what you're saying, Steve, touches up with the overability of choices and the lack and the fear of commitment. 
Because what you're saying is most people who haven't stayed the road with the oak table long enough for it to actually have the time of authenticity. Well, what that would re actually require is a commitment. And when you finally make a decision and commit, there's a lot of other shit that you lose out on. Look at look at look at look at the, the, the hip hop. Look at the the rappers, man. They want they want credibility in the streets, right? So they'll buy guns, this that that whatever, and and then they'll pay to have those dudes around them, so that they can. But they don't want to go out there and take any chances. They don't want to go to prison. They don't want, you know what I'm saying? Are you seeing that in the art world too, Robert? Do you see examples of that? People who want to jump ahead of the time and dedication that it's going to require to find your voice or whatever it really is in the art world? Yeah, but I also think that's natural mm -hmm. for people to do that in lots of areas of life. It um, It's interesting to the see that um, I remember at some point I noticed there were people that started to see, oh, Art is a thing. Art is becoming like the new rock star, you know? And this was at a point where I would see people who were just dabbling with art want to become artists. And I would see photographers who now wanted to be painters. And it's just, it was interesting to see that. And it's interesting to see how, let's say, if there's not a, a, a support with that. Um, and when I say support, meaning an actual financial support, whether it's a, a safety net or actual just, you know, sales and stuff, those people do fall off pretty quickly. Right. And um, what are we left with? We're left with people that really want to continue making art or think that's the only thing they could actually do. Yeah. And I do think um, I think you both are saying something interesting that I, I would only add to it that I think today there is a lot more ability to try to choose multiple venues and or start over again than there has been, let's say, 200 years ago. And, you know, part of the dream of America to a certain extent in the old days, not even now, but part of the dream in America was like, I'm going to come from Europe in this kind of weird feudal system where I'm going to pretty much be what my dad was. And I'm going to come here and I'm going to reinvent myself and I can be whatever I want. And there's a certain freedom to that. The cost to that, though, is there's a higher probability that each little fork in a road where there seems to be danger signs and you're trying to get the safety net, you might not commit all the way. And 10, 20, 30 years might go by and you don't have the oak table with the time in it. And so yeah. if yeah. you were kind of forced... <clears throat> In a situation because of the way it was in the past and there weren't that other things in the beginning, you might not like it, but maybe having that pressure and that push in that direction and not having the ability to choose a million different types of careers forced you then to acquire a commitment and a time and uh, an expression in that space. You know what is interesting? You know what? I'm going to say this is like, and, and this is about kind of going back to creative and craftsmanship. And I think when I was trying to mean like some of the time things, if I can put it into a perspective that you guys understand is maybe like this, like Gucci, back when the founder of Gucci started Gucci, he wasn't trying to build a luxury brand. Right. That there was, he didn't foresee, I don't believe that was, 
the first cobblers and the first people that were leather makers, they were like <clears throat> intent on making something that was gonna outlast like the excellence. best quality, excellence. Like that was what drove them. And I don't think that if they would have had the luxury, but the, the I don't believe that's what they were doing. They were consumed with doing what they were doing, and that was crafting something really special from the best that they could get. Now, over time, it becomes a luxury brand, and and then over time, it kind of gets bastardized because Gucci's like the cheapest shit you can buy. But some a lot of times, like Gucci or um, it gets watered down. It gets watered like these, they gotta these do are big high conglomerate volumes, companies. Yeah, these are big conglomerate volume. companies now. Yeah. If I go buy something that's Prada, like that shit is falling. It's a, some of the worst made stuff. Right. So that's what happens to Bugle Boy jeans. <laughs> so <laughs> then somebody comes along, new, a new designer, and deems something. This is a luxury brand. Right. The first thing I'm going to say is, well, where's the history? Right. That's and so there's true. No, then, then it's like it's already down in my eyes, you know, or. It's if you don't know enough that you're not starting out as a luxury brand, then you don't know enough to eventually create a real luxury brand. Yeah, like, I and I it. think it's like people want history, and they want to try and buy history. They want to try and, you, you know, know, what I'm saying. And you they know want what? That. You know what? And, and this dovetails with what you're saying. So they want history, and they want to buy history. And because we have so many abilities to reinvent ourselves in the United States, it's hard for us to look back and see a cohesive history behind something. And I think that's one of the reasons that prison stories and prison lives and prison tales have a certain value in America especially. Because what prison represents to some people, I think, is a block of history. It's got a number on it. It's got somebody who's gonna come out and tell you what happened in there. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think why a lot of people who will never go to prison, who will never do anything that would lead them to prison, who wouldn't want to be in any kind of situation because they're too scared, blah, 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 blah. I think a lot of those people gravitate towards the prison stories and listening and seeing that is partially because it does represent a history that they're never going to be able to experience themselves. Oh, uh, yes. And and I, I say all this impertinence to... Um, Robert and his his play, back to like bro whoever thinks that their life and their career and their whatever they're doing on this planet is in a straight line and they've got it figured out and yeah. this is how it's gonna yeah. go yeah. I don't know what to tell you everybody that I know yeah. that has done something that stuck with it yeah. it's like that you have that straight line A to B yeah. but life is that squiggly fucking right Right? Yeah. That's how it is, man. And Robert Standish, I watched him navigate through ups and downs and it seeming like it was gonna happen and then it's not happening. Oh, yeah. And this was supposed that and I watched him kind of navigate through it and continue to show up. And I think like that's something that this show is really about. Oh, I and think so. I like to bring guests and like I can personally stand up and say, Hey, I've watched this guy go in and out and and, and and watched him get better by showing up day after day. Get better, get better, get better. And um, yeah, man, it's just like, it's not by mistake that, and it's not by just luck and by mistake that Robert Standish 
has some of the accolades and some of the things he's doing. Just like it's not by mistake that we're sitting in your law firm. Right? Yes. It's not by mistake. It's not by mistake that all of our sound and all this shit has all happened just right. Because, Sean, it's not by mistake, bro. Like, there's history. There's time spent. If you stick with it long enough, um, you know, like you said, you know, I know the guys that are like they're for five years they're a photographer, for five years they're this, for five years they're, and, and you know, and then they're wandering around wondering. <clears throat> and I think like you got to stick through some things, and I think people want that. They want to have that without having to do it. Um, but anyways, uh, tell me, tell me something, partner. How can people follow your artwork? IG at Robert Standish. You have a website too? I do. I'm not as on it. Okay. All right. All right. Good. Do you have, well, because of this COVID time, they're not doing a whole bunch of gallery shows, huh? Do you got an event or anything that you want to promote? Um, it's online right now. I have a current solo show on Artsy through Mark Moore Fine Art. show is called Chaos and Control. And um, as the galleries start to open up, I think, uh, meaning it's starting to happen, I think the next uh, three months to six months, I'll have something else. And how can people, uh, how can our listeners uh, show up for when you and your mother are having these interesting intellectual discussions? Uh, Where is that happening? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, what does my mother have to do? <laughs> I just, I'm thinking about it. You're going to end up getting hit right in the nose. You listen, keep on about I'm going to fucking take I'm a picture Jesus. of that and sell that. That's going to be worth something someday. Um, all right. I want to give a big shout out to uh, St. James Sense, right? Yeah. And uh, Cookies, right? Big Cookies, Vibe, Supermax. Right. Alondo, Bone. City Green Builders. City Green Builders. Uh, City Green Builders. Uh, John what's, Ritter. What's, what's, what's the cannabis company? The cannabis company is called Botany Farms. No fun- Botany Farms. No fungicide. No, no pesticides. pesticides. No fungicides. Oh, good old motherfucking smoke. I can't get fucking Bud. old blue eyes to stop smoking that shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> fucking pothead over here, man. So it's making him a better guy, though. Burnout. He's See how burnout. quickly he got over all that shit earlier? Yeah, he yeah. did. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, go ahead. What else? Oh, no. I was just going to Ovando Bowen. Give it yeah, to Ovando Bowen. Uh, LLP. Law, LLP, law firm of all law firms. If you want to be able to uh, talk to uh, an attorney who's got your fucking back and is going to tell you it ain't worth the money what you're trying to do. Trust me. It's not going to work and save you some dough. Call me. I'll give it to you real. Yeah. Dude, and- I just had depositions yesterday. Back to back. Listen, if you want an attorney that just enjoys sweating the fuck out of a out of a of a, a witness, call me up. Yeah, he does that. That's <laughs> like feeding it. him. He needs something to eat. I get energized by it. Yeah. The guy's getting more tired, and I'm getting more energized. I love Boy, it. big shout out, Robert Standish. Robert Thank you, Standish. brother, for coming Thank down, you. man. Thank you, guys. I loved, loved, loved this. Please yeah. come back. Come back, man. Yeah. You can be one of our art experts. Uh, or just a guy that's got some fucking shit to say. I yeah. love it, man. So come on. Thanks, man. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, brother. Yeah, good stuff. Robert Standish. Robert you guys Standish. Get knowing. Get following. Get Any knowing. chances um, we can get uh, Estevan to set up a boxing match between you and Lucky? <laughs> 
Or are we past that now? If the price is right, we can do anything, brother. Right. We can fucking paint each other naked in the middle of the ring if the money's right. Hey, Sylvester Stallone, that painting at the end that starts Rocky IV, uh, what's your thought on that? It's funny that you brought up Rocky. So after uh, Lucky and I boxed, mm. I hadn't seen him for maybe another couple months. And I'm just on the street and two guys in a car come cur curving around the corner and her window rolls down and he's all, yo, Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> the rock. <laughs> all right. Well, listen, we're going to say adios amigos to everybody from the Hard Luck Show. Adios.